this really plays into what we've been studying uh, all month and now the first Sunday of, of, of February about stewardship, of learning what it means that God owns everything, we own nothing, and that we are to steward everything, that we're not entitled owners, we are entrusted stewards. And because of that, we should have a spirit of gratitude that we're as rich as we think, and so we appreciate anything, we appreciate everything. And then last week we had a challenging lesson, uh, do something. What is your next step? What do you need to do to be a good steward, to be intentional about it? And today we're going to talk about not just finances, but how do we steward time? Because time is money. I had more than one person as we went through this month say, you know, I understand this about stewarding our money, and, and I get that. It says, but stewarding time is as much of a challenge, if not stewarding money. Fifty years ago, Futurists were predicting one of the problems that future generations would have is this. What would we do with all the extra time? Nancy Gibbs testified before a Senate subcommittee that people would be working just 22 hours a week or 27 weeks a year and retire at about age 38. That was in 1985 that she was making that prediction. It was believed with this coming technology and all, that it was coming, all this leisure time, we wouldn't know what to do with it. Now, obviously, none of that has come to pass. In fact, it's almost a joke because it seems like we're busier than ever. Most people feel like their lives are stressed and their schedules are crammed much more than even just a decade ago. Jeremy Ripken wrote in Time Wars... The modern world of streamlined transportation and instantaneous communication and time-saving technologies were supposed to free us from the dictates of the clock and provide us with increased leisure. Instead, there never seems to be enough time. Time, once a mainstay, is now a luxury. Now, not all the demands that are on, on us are because of increased work schedules. Some of it are, is our own making. We add things to our schedules. And we get to the end of a very busy, long day just longing for a few moments to relax, to breathe. I read about one family, five children. Mom and dad both worked, and they were reminiscing that now that the children were moving out of the home, they communicated more in writing with their children when they're all still in the home. Because from about 5.45 in the morning until 7.45 in the evening, somebody was coming and going. So they'd write notes in the kitchen to one another. The mom said, one day my junior high son got home and read the note. Anyone here at 3.15, please put the roast in the oven. So he left a note saying that he did it. And he left a note, anyone here at 6 o'clock, please turn off the oven. Well, he's the one that walked through at 6 o'clock, so he turned off the oven. And then he wrote the note, faithful Tim has once again been here to take care of dinner. Where is everybody anyway? Americans live such hurried, hectic lives. You know that. And the casualty is that we lose connection with the people that matter the most. We walk fast, talk fast, eat fast, and get up for dinner and say, I got to run. We're always in a hurry, or so it seems. Someone said America is the only country with a mountain named Rushmore. Comedian Steve Wright said he installed a microwave in his fireplace, a microwave fireplace in his house, and he said this, now he can spend an entire evening at home by the fire in just eight minutes. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I think, hit the nail on the head when he said hastiness 
and superficiality. Hastiness and superficiality are the psychic diseases of our time. How do we find the time that we need for the really significant things in life? How do we make time? How do we steward our time? Now, as Christians, we know what's right and wrong, basically, right? We know what's right. The problem, the challenge is finding the time to do it. We know why we're here. We're here to glorify God, to live for Him. But it's a huge challenge to keep things in perspective. How do you find quality time with your family when your job drains you so much that by the time you get home at the end of the day, there's nothing left? How can we find time for Bible study and prayer? you got a full-time job and preschoolers and ones in diapers. There's no time. Who has time for exercise and recreation when life is so hectic? Our sense of significance suffers because we know what is right. But at the end of the day, we've not filled that right. We've not done those things. We feel like we're just spinning our wheels and we've not gotten anything done. Maybe we can relate to what the Apostle Paul said in, in Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. Sometimes that's a matter of the will. Sometimes it's a matter of schedule. Verse 24, he says, what a wretched man that I am. For the last four weeks, we've been talking about stewarding money. But this kind of stewardship, stewarding time, may be just as critical, just as needed. And it's imperative that we get a handle on how to handle our time. So I want us today to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, as our theme text for this message. Ephesians 5, 15 begins, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. God's Word encourages us to realize the precious value of time. Make the most of every opportunity. And some days are more precious than others because time is relevant. I think we all understand that. If you tell a preschooler that his birthday is in seven days, those seven days to that preschooler feels like an eternity. But to that mom or dad who are not yet ready for the big party, that's not enough time at all. To that young lady out on that first date, that young teenager who's going out on that first date, you know, a couple of hours out with that special someone, it just seems to go by so fast. But to her mom and dad, who are waiting at home, it feels like forever. Listening to a 30-minute sermon on a Sunday morning can feel like it time stands still. If you're the one preaching and you got so many good things to say, it goes just like that. Time is relevant. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. If you're filling the blank, I want you to see this. Every day is valued, number one, because there's a limited supply. The Bible teaches us this. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90, verse 10, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And then in verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You ever numbered your days? If you live to be 80, that means you'd be given 29,200 days. Now, we've just been talking about money. Think about it. If someone on January 1st gave you $29,200, said this got to last you the whole year. You'd be super committed to, to spend every dollar wisely and make sure that you had enough to last the whole time because you know you don't have an endless supply. But we carelessly waste days thinking there is an endless supply. 
We're not guaranteed 29,000 days. We're not guaranteed one more day. James says in James 4, 14, why do, you, why do you not even know that what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a time while, for a time while and then vanishes. So every day is valuable because there's a limited supply. But number two, every day is valuable because each day is unique. Every day is unique. One of a kind. We just had Groundhog Day. Do you remember the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day? How it was February 2nd every morning. He had to relive the day every morning until he got it right. We don't have that luxury, even if we wanted to. Every day is a new day. You can't go back. Before Queen Elizabeth I died, she said at the last, all my possessions, but for a moment of time. But time cannot be bought, even by a monarch. So make the most of every opportunity because time is valuable. But number three, the passage also warns us about the demands and the choices and the options in a day. Look again at verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's so many reasons why sin is wrong, and we know this. it's, It's wrong because we're disobeying God. It's wrong because it's harming relationships. It's gone. It's wrong because it's not what is best for us. It causes pain and suffering. Sin, among other things, though, is a waste of time. If you say no to sin, that means you're not going to waste time in bars getting drunk or in casinos gambling your money away or with shallow affairs or wasting your time worrying or wasting your time listening to or repeating gossip and all the drama that goes with that. Remember, Jesus described Satan as a thief, as a robber, taking things that are not his, maybe even our time. But it's not just sin that steals time. Sometimes it's good things or just morally neutral things. Remember that time when Jesus went to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? And he went there, and Mary was so consumed with listening to Jesus, she didn't think about Martha being in the kitchen getting ready for the guests. And Martha was so consumed with getting ready for the guests, she was irritated at Mary for sitting and listening to Jesus. So Martha kind of calls Mary out and and says to Jesus, look at Luke 10, verse 40. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I want you to notice that this is not about who sinned. This is not a sin problem we're talking about here. Martha was not sinning by working in the kitchen, by being preoccupied with the guest that was coming, but her focus was on the temporal and not the eternal. And that may be our problem. That may be a challenge for us. There's so many things distracting us that are temporary, that are not as important Richard Swinson wrote a book. It's called Margins. The subtitle is Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves for Our Overloaded Lives. Now, Swinson is a medical doctor, and so he sees people for all kinds of ailments, but he wrote about, it seemed to be this endless stream of exhausted people. He wrote this in his book. A majority of people are suffering from an uncontrolled societal epidemic of overload. What we need is margins. 
just as a book has to have some white space so the page is readable and attractive, our lives need some space so that we can enjoy life and be peaceful. In a push for progress, margin has been devoured. We are besieged by anxiety, stress, and fatigue so that relationships suffer. We have aches and pains and the flood of daily events seem beyond our control. Something has gone wrong. And the word he uses is overload. And I want to share, if you fill in the blanks, a couple of points that he makes. Because I think it's true even today. Number one, we have a commitment overload. People can't say no. So they commit to too many obligations. They have too many relationships. They accept too many responsibilities. They enroll in too many classes. They allow their kids to play too many sports. They volunteer to do too many tasks. And they try to please too many friends. They have more commitments than they have time to honor any of them. If you add to that, number two, we have a possession overload. We have more things per person than any other nation in history. Our closets are crammed full of clothes. And our closets are bigger today than they've ever been. Separate storage units is a booming business. We can't park our cars in our garages, so then everything I own, owns me. You ever taken a load of clothes to, to Goodwill and you drop it off, or maybe give it to a friend, or sell it on Craigslist, and when it's gone... It just feels free. It feels good, doesn't it? It's like you got rid of that parasite and there's something freeing about that. Number three, we have a work overload. Every morning, too many people head out to an exhausting job with demands that leave them stressed and worn out. Because we've got we more things to buy, more people to please, more places to go, more uniforms to, uniforms to purchase. And so we work and work and work, and all the while going deeper into debt. Both mom and dad are overworked and underrelating. And then number four, what about information overload? Listen to this quote. A single edition of the New York Times, a single edition of the New York Times contains more information than a 17th century British publisher would have encountered in a lifetime. Swinson wrote this back in 1995 before the internet had really gone commercial. And you think about it, if that was true then, how much more true now? Because everybody's got a blog. Everybody's got a post. Everybody's got a video for you to watch. And there's no way we can read it all and watch it all and do it all. We suffer from this more than ever. Information overload. And number five, we don't talk about this much, but we need to. Ministry overload. I read about a new Christian who complained the church can run you into the ground. Maybe it's true. The truth is, it's easy to let the needs and hurts of others make you burn the candle on both ends. And your schedule's already full. And churches can be less helpful when the church calendar is so full that we're pulling our families away from each other. I read about a congregation that took a two-week vacation. The church took a two-week vacation, so I kept reading. I thought, what does that look like? They met for Sunday morning worship only for two weeks. No Bible classes, no Sunday nights, no Wednesday nights, no small groups, nothing. Worship and relax. It made one lady nervous, and so she asked, what happens if Jesus returns during this time? And the preacher said, well, I guess he'll just find us relaxed and ready to go. Our time is not just sat by sin or wrong things. Sometimes it's good things. 
But we're so sat with those, just like Martha, we don't make time for the best. The best things like walking beside the still waters or being still and knowing God. Some men die by shrapnel. Some men go up in flames. Most men die inch by inch who play at little games. That's the challenge. But you know that already. So what's the solution? We are in desperate need for a wise redemption of time. Look back at our text, Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you remember the King James rendered that redeeming the time, buying it back? But look at the next verse, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let's talk about that for a moment. I don't think it's the Lord's will for you to be so exhausted and for your schedule to be so cram-packed that, that you're irritable and mean and nobody likes to be around you. Or that when you get home at the end of the day, your family just wishes you would go back because you're not fit to be around. For our lives to be so jam-packed that when something goes wrong, we blow our top. For our minds to be so preoccupied with all that we have to accomplish then when we do lay down at the end of the day, our minds are racing. The anxiety keeps us awake. I want to suggest several important steps to help us make the most of every opportunity to redeem the time. And I will admit, few need this more than I do. So number one, schedule your priorities. Schedule your priorities. Make them not unnegotiable. And you know what I mean by this. God comes first. So you're going to be at worship every Sunday, no matter what, even if you're traveling, even if you're on vacation, God comes first. But not just once a week. God comes first to each of us every day. So you make time in some way to reconnect. Look at Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. You connect with God. You may say, I don't have time for this devotional in the morning. Fine. Maybe it says you're driving to work. Maybe it's when you're in the shower. Maybe it's when you're walking from your car to your place of business where you're just saying, God, and you recenter and you're focused. You are number one in my life. Help me to be your ambassador. I need you. And then open your eyes, as the psalmist says, and wait expectantly. Think of Jesus' words in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And think about it, we can do a whole lot of nothing. But if you're connected with the Lord, if you're abiding with Him, every day you recenter, you refocus, you give yourself to Him, and then you look expectantly. For him. We sing that song, Take Time to Be Holy. We say, Make time, schedule it. It'll become second nature like brushing your teeth. And if you don't, the immediate is just going to take over. God comes first, but also family. And this also may have to be scheduled. Don't let it get pushed aside. Make an appointment, make it a date. Put it on your calendar if you need to, your planner. If your family is important, make your schedule prove it. As well as serving at church. You make the commitment to do something to serve others, and then you follow through. Whether that's helping in our children's ministry, leading a small group, serving in some way. That's what this whole super service Sunday is about. 
We're scheduling what we all should be doing anyway. We're putting it on the planner. Not just waiting for it to happen. You know, you should be serving people. Schedule it. The important gets devoured by the immediate if we're not intentional. I was talking with somebody this week, and they were talking about how one day it was an exhausting day, and it was the next morning, and they were, they were still tired from how tired they were because their job was 8 to 5, but oftentimes it goes into the evening as well. But he was talking about how he was keeping that next evening open for family. And so he put the hours in and made the one day hard because he, was trying, he scheduled it. You want to mess with that to keep that important. It really comes down to whether or not we believe what God says. Believe the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Now, obviously, you've got to go to work. And if you work full time, that's going to take the biggest chunk of your awake hours. But if your job is so demanding, so stressful, that it drains you to the point where you're off work, you're not fit to be around, maybe it's time for you to make a courageous, bold decision. Like the pediatrician who went back to school to become an allergist so he could better control his schedule to be with his family and take some weeks off for short trip missions to Cuba. Or the man who loved golf, but when his children came along, he put his clubs aside during those early years. Actually, he wrote since it was 20 years until they left home so he could be with his family. Or the one who turned down a job promotion because it would require more hours away from the family, a lot more traveling away from the family. It cost his career. He didn't get as much money, but to him, it was worth it. So first, make priorities. Don't negotiate. But number two, back to Dr. Swinson, Leave some margins. Leave time for margins. Margins is the very opposite of overload. So you allow for those opportunities, those unforeseen situations that are coming to your schedule. They happen. And we talked about when we were dealing with money to make sure you save some money for those so that you have some left to give and to share. The same with time. The reason why we love the story of the Good Samaritan is not just because he gave what he had physically. He took the time. We're so jam-packed, we'd be like the other two and kept going because we got obligations to go. So put some margins in there to take care of what's important. Dr. Swinson talked about a doctor who scheduled imaginary patients' appointments. And so when they didn't show, he had a breather. You see, it helped him to get through the day, but it wasn't just self-preservation. It also helped him to be fully present for that next patient that he was seeing. And think about it. No one was more accomplished in ministry than Jesus. In his three years, he accomplished so much. But you notice, think about how he was so open to the interruptions, to the change of schedule. He had time for the spontaneous He made time to go off for a full day to pray. When he had an interchange with Zacchaeus, he said, let's go eat lunch. He allowed the children to come and sit on his lap. He stopped the demanding, pushing crowd and said, who touched me? And he ministered to that woman in need. So he was open to that. He allowed that. He lived his life that way. But that's not saying everything wasn't open. Some things were scheduled. When it was time for him to go to Jerusalem, He told His disciples that. You go to this specific room. 
Make preparations there. Jesus had it all scheduled out. So the concept of margins, it's not just something we need today because we're so busy. The idea of margins is really a concept since the beginning of time. It goes back to the Sabbath principle. You work six days and you rest one. Now, I know we're not under the Old Testament law, but the principle is no less true. In fact, it's timeless. Now, we think we've improved on that because we don't work six days. We work five and we've got two for the weekend. But how often do we fill our weekends so full that we have to go back to work on Monday to rest? We need to revisit this principle of the Sabbath. God did not design your body or your mind to go full throttle all day long, all week long, and fall into bed exhausted because you don't have any extra time. He designed one day each week to rest, to disengage, to practice the Sabbath principle. Sleep in. Take a walk. Give your eyes a break from all those screens. Maybe read a book that's not work-related. Or if you're... If you really want to take a bold step, turn off your phone. Take a Sabbath. Number three, learn to say no with grace and finality. That's hard for me to do because I want to be there for people. I want to be available. Maybe you struggle with that as well. We don't intend to overload, but we think, one more, it's okay. I can squeeze one more in. A preacher called his friend. A preacher was going to, to, to speak about two hours away, and he called his friend and said, Hey, I'm going to go up here and make this little road trip. You want to go with me? And his friend said, No. And that's all he said. He didn't say, No, I've got to keep the kids, or No, I need to rearrange my sock drawer. He just said, No. And the preacher was sharing that and said, I need to be more like my ex friend and, and say no to people like that. And the best way to say no is when you're first asked. The vacuum cleaner salesman knocks on the door, tell them, no. And close the door. Don't wait till they vacuumed your whole house. And then try to find a way to tell them no. Number four, take advantage of small segments of time. Instead of getting into your car and just mindlessly plugging into your music like you always do, maybe you need to listen to something that's inspiring or that will encourage you, or maybe just turn it off and have quiet. Instead of letting the TV always be on at your house, always eating dinner in front of the screen, turn it off and have conversation. Instead of sitting at home in isolation, invite somebody over. It doesn't have to be for a big meal. Maybe it's just a hot dog. Maybe it's just for something to drink. Just be there. And number five, practice the art of savoring every day. Practice the art of savoring every day. Do we do this? Can we do this? To learn to appreciate, to be fully engaged where you are. See, two of the greatest enemies of this are regret from yesterday and preoccupation with tomorrow. And we can be guilty of both. Too many waste their day rehashing yesterday, their mistakes they made, or how good it was once upon a time. Or like that student just watching for 3 o'clock, or the employee looking the clock, waiting for 5 o'clock. Can't wait to get out. Someone said if we eliminated all the life we wished away, we'd truly only live about a month. Why is it that life seems to look better in retrospect? The good old days. We want our children to remain young. 
Can we enjoy them the age they are, whatever age that is? Why is it life always looks better in retrospect? Or maybe it looks good in, in prospect. I can't wait until one day I will. And we rob ourselves from savoring today. Seems to me if we're going to heed God's admonition to make the most of every opportunity, to redeem the time, we've got to savor every moment God gives us. And then wholeheartedly agree with the psalmist in Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not rehashing yesterday. Not looking forward to the weekend. Savor today. It's a wonderful invention that we have. A camera, a video to capture the moment. But have you noticed, especially since now we have cameras on our phones... That we take pictures of everything? You ever been to an event for children? And there's so many people up at the stage taking the pictures. There's nobody left sitting in the crowd because everybody's up there taking the picture. What if we put the camera down and just savor the moment? Enjoy the moment. It's a beautiful sunset. You don't have to take a picture and worry about some snappy creative caption to post. Just enjoy the moment. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. This is a special moment. We're about to sing an invitation song. And it may be the moment for you that is the most important because it's about your commitment to Jesus. Look at Romans 13, 11. Understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. Make the most of this opportunity. This morning, if you need baptism, we always make that available. If we can pray for you in any way, make the most of this opportunity. Won't you come as we stand and sing?